When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So, Tommy, can you believe it? This is our fourth episode of our podcast, and today it's all about the four and the runner. Yeah, it is. We're talking about Toyota Forerunner today. Yep, and we're going to be going into the history of the Forerunner. We're going to be talking about which ones are best and which ones are best avoided. But before we do that, let me tell you a story. A couple of years ago, I got to go on a program where I got to drive the Forerunner, uh, the Toyota TRD Pro version of the Tundra Forerunner and Tacoma from Moab, Utah, all the way to Telluride, Colorado. And guess which one was my favorite? Um, probably the Forerunner. For yeah, talking about yeah, it. yeah. The Forerunner is my favorite, and you know why? Oh, why? Well, because the Tundra TRD Pro does not have a locking rear diff, and on the trail, it's a little bit big and a little bit uh, cumbersome. Okay. All right. And uh, why didn't you think I like the Tacoma TRD Pro? I don't know. It's a good truck. It is a good truck, but even though it's got the newer 3.5 liter, yeah, and uh, the more geared transmission. I still like the Forerunner better because of the seating position. Okay. You know, it just is one of those vehicles that I think is the perfect right size for me. You know, it's it's kind of a do everything. It's old school tech with um, kind of uh, new school design with just the right size with uh, Toyota's reliability. I mean, it'd be a hard vehicle to not recommend for somebody who's looking for the all-around off-road slash on-road family truckster. Yeah, I think it's a great compromise in terms of price as well because, you know, (laughs) we've got a Wrangler outside that's $64,000 and apples to apples, typically a foreigner will be cheaper than a Wrangler. Sit back and relax or keep driving if you're driving. TFL Talking Cars is on the air, the world's most popular car podcast. Okay, maybe not yet, but we're working on it. Why don't you talk about the TRD Pro so people know what makes it different from like an off-road? Well, just like any other vehicle, there's different trim levels of 4Runner. And it starts at the SR5 and it works its way up to the TRD Pro. The higher up you go in trim, the more off-road worthy it becomes. So the TRD Pro is the craziest of all the 4Runners. It's got the best suspension. It's got the rear differential lock, a special roof rack. Typically, they come in special colors, different underbody protection with big skid plates. So that's kind of the meatiest, most aggressive model you can buy. And the best shocks. And the best shocks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the coolest thing about it by far is that big... Uh, stainless steel plate that you can't really see unless you're underneath it that says TRD Pro on it. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, they were so popular that remember when they first came out, the Toyota dealership here in Boulder was doing, well, I'm going to be nice and say homage, but um, realistically, they were not uh, real TRD Pros, but dealer 
built up TRD Pros because you look at it and you'd be like, I think that's a TRD Pro. And then you'd be like, but it doesn't say TRD Pro on the skid plate underneath. Yeah, Toyota fans really treasure and, and actually sometimes collect the TRD Pros because they change from year to year to year. And they only build so many in every year. So it's almost like a, a prize commodity, uh, you know, a prize possession to these Toyota fanboys. Well, the way they change probably most noticeably is in the body color, right? The right. year it first came out, there were only two colors, mm-hmm. uh, Voodoo Blue, which is this really eye-popping blue. Uh, and the other one was, I think it was black. Wasn't it black or white? I think it was white. No, it was white. It was Voodoo remember. Blue and white was the other color. Yeah. Um, so this like, like Arctic White and Voodoo Blue. Uh, and actually, we built up... Um, uh, Land Cruiser and did it in that same white as kind of our um, homage, I'm going to use that word this time, to the TRD Pro because Toyota doesn't make a TRD Pro Land Cruiser. And if you want to see that series, go to uh, uh, TFL, is it on car or truck? Do you remember? I think it's truck. Yeah, I think it's on TFL truck. It's TFL truck. Yeah, and check out that Land Cruiser, the TRD Pro that we built up and basically created as Toyota would. All right, so you want to talk about the history of the Forerunner? Yeah, so the Forerunner actually came out back in the mid-1980s as a somewhat SUV version of the Toyota pickup truck, which abroad was called the Hilux. And I say somewhat SUV version because basically they took a pickup truck and added a topper to the back of it, threw some seats in it, a bit of a roll cage, and called it a day. So it was really a converted standard cab truck that's was somewhat cobbled together into, you know, a, an SUV, but it worked really well and it was really cool and it sold really well. Now the first generations had a fully removable rear end, so the whole rear cab portion would come off like an old Bronco or Blazer, and that made it very unique in the SUV market being a convertible SUV. Are you talking about the N60, right? Yeah, that would be the first generation. Uh, 1984 was the first model year for that. Very slow though. First years they were only available with the little four cylinders. Uh, and then finally, a little bit into production, they released the V6s to be more competitive with the American uh, you know, competition. But very iconic SUVs. And actually, the first generation foreigners are becoming very hard to find because for a long time, they were just cut up, modded, they rusted away. People used them as off-road bashers. And now there's so few of them that the ones that are on the road in good shape are being highly priced. Yeah, and then something important happened to the forerunner in 86. Uh, which is it went from a um, solid front axle to an independent front suspension, uh, which is um, you know unique to the Forerunner as opposed to, let's say, a Wrangler, which still has a solid front axle. Yeah. Uh, and ever since then, uh, fanboys have been arguing about which is better. Is it uh, IFS or is it solid axles? And, <laughs> and that argument continues to this day. Um, the one thing I can tell you is they both have their advantages and disadvantages. I think the uh, solid axles are a little better off-road, in my opinion, and the independent front suspension is a little better on-road. Uh, also, independent front suspension is a little di- more difficult to lift. It, yeah. takes, it takes more money and it takes more stuff right, to lift it. You can't just do a straight-up puck lift. And all the old foreigners you know, dating through 95 in the second generation are very – very modifiable, very easy to modify, very affordable to modify because there were very few electronics in them. Uh, basically, they were Hiluxes underneath, right? They were old school pickup trucks. Zach, are we doing good on sound? Are we still recording? Cool. All right, now let's talk about the third generation because the first and the second generation are quite hard to find. They were pretty agricultural in a lot of ways, but the third gen is really when the Forerunner came into its own. And then actually, when I was just a little guy, you owned a four, uh, um, a third generation Forerunner. Yeah, the N180 ran from 1995 to 2002. Right. Uh, and uh, I was deeply in lust with that. And I had this kind of weird 
kind of champagne color, which is the color that yeah, they're all, all that color now here in Colorado. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a manual, which was cool. Uh, you know, that was still when manuals were king. Uh, it uh, had these kind kind of like brown checkered seats, which were very um, industrial and very long lived. Uh, and it was about as basic as you could get. You know, I don't think you can even find a vehicle now that still has those sliders for the temperature controls, you know, where you go from like cold to hot by sliding it from left to right. I was just in a car that had that. Yeah. I think it was like the Honda Fit or the Corolla still had a little slider for yeah. the fresh air. But they were, by modern standards, pretty uncomfortable, pretty rudimentary. But compared to the first and second gen, the third gen really brought in a lot of the luxuries, especially the late models. So by 2002, you'd find them in limited trims. I actually, one of my best friends had a limited trim, uh, my roommate actually, and they had all this body-colored cladding on the side, full leather interiors, but they still retained a lot of the capability that makes them so special. Yeah, you know, we had the SR5 trim, uh, which was the most kind of down the middle. Um, And uh, the one thing I remember about it was that your mom traded it, hated it, after uh, she did like a 180 in the mountains with it. Because the problem with it was it had a, a traditional transfer case, which I loved. Right. Uh, it wasn't all-wheel drive. It was four-wheel drive, so it had a low range. And then in, a, in order for like a truck for you to put it into four-wheel drive, you actually had to take this lever and put it into the right setting. Uh, and, uh, you know, she just wasn't in that mindset to have to switch levers. So she went from, or we went from that to a Volvo uh, V. Uh, cross country, actually, at that point. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I missed that truck because it was a truck. Uh, and um, nowadays, the one thing I remember about that generation is you you, you can see them; they're everywhere because they sold a lot of them, and they all have rusty fenders, uh, chrome fenders, and, and water gets into those. Oh, the fenders. bumpers. Yeah, and the bumper rusts out in the corners. Yeah, like the rear bumpers. Yeah. Exactly. I one of my good friends actually also Matt. He a while back we did a little series called Diflock, which was affordable off roading. And my friend and Alex, we had these lifted Wranglers. They were YJs, but they had big tires on them and high lifts, and they looked really cool. And Matt had a bone stock third-gen 4Runner with a factory rear locker, so the first 4Runner available with the e-locker in the rear. And the 4Runner would just trounce our lifted Wranglers anywhere it went. The thing was just unstoppable. The third gens are actually starting to increase in value. Once again, a lot of them have been, been modded out. But if you can find a good one, especially with low mileage, you're going to be looking at... Yeah, that doesn't exist. Yeah, sometimes 10, 10 grand. Yeah, there's no such thing as a low mileage third gen foreigner. I mean, yeah. they're all 200, at least 250K. I mean, you know, and what happened with those was, you know, they, they got used up as family vehicles and then they eventually got down to kind of the level where people would take them off-road and then they would mod them. Uh, and um, so, you know, they're kind of at that... They kind of went, hit the bottom of the depreciation curve, but now they're starting to come back up because good ones that haven't been modded, you know, and when I say modded, I'm not thinking about like our friends at Toy Tech, right, which actually go and do professional mods, right? These are like kids. Well, like my friend and I yeah. welded together a bumper for it, which yeah, was pretty yeah. crummy. <laughs> yeah, who, who have limited welding experience <laughs> and just decided that the thing needs an off-road bumper. So they pull the rusty one off and put another one on. Uh, and, and those don't have a lot of value. The ones that do have a lot of value, of course, are always going to be the original stock with low miles and those are really hard to find but they're still an affordable way to get into uh, off-roading yep mid i think they were you can comment below but i'm pretty sure they were 3.4 liter v6s if i recall fairly powerful not going to blow your doors off it's not until we got into the fourth gen that we really saw some true power numbers in the 400 because the fourth gen 
was the first and only foreigner available from the factory with a V8. Now that's the N210. That ran from 2002 to 2009. So now we're getting into kind of uh, the timeline where um, things are getting a little bit more modern. So it's not much. It's not as much of a truck. It's becoming more of a SUV uh, slash crossover. Um, uh, this generation, um, you know, saw the four liter V6, which it still has to this day. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is actually a really good engine, a thirsty engine, but nevertheless a really good engine, smooth running, uh, very reliable, um, you know, just a really good to engine. So we have got a really good friend named Charlie who runs um, Charlie's Garage in Boulder. He's kind of the premier Toyota repair shop in our county, and he, he's amazing. He does really high-quality work. And we were asking him, because he's worked on every Toyota since 19, I don't know, 50-something. And we were like, well, you know, what, what do you think the best engine is that Toyota made? Yeah. yeah, best Toyota engine. And he said, hands down, the 4.7-liter V8, which is what the fourth-generation Forerunner was available with. I think, if I recall, those were only available with full-time four-wheel drive, right? Yep, yeah, or they so. were available with full-time four-wheel drive, so you didn't have to actually engage a lever. Uh, that actually shared its platform with the Lexus GX470, um, which is a Prado, yeah. right? But great, great SUVs. Not really well-liked in the Toyota community. The fourth gen's kind of the black sheep of the Forerunner line. Yeah, and you know, those four sevens, people think that they're the ones that you want. I'm not sure about that. Uh, you know, they're heavier, they're thirstier. Um, there's a lot of downside to, to having that bigger engine. And that four liter, I think, and, you know, Charlie would know better because he's a mechanic, but I think that four liter is going to become an iconic engine that uh, people are going to, you know, want long after um, Toyota stops building it. So the fifth generation came out in. N280. Yeah, in 2009, shared that same four liter. And believe it or not, it's the same truck that you can go out and buy today, but the early ones look very different. Uh, and actually, I was talking to the Toy Tech guys about this too, and a lot of people don't like the design of the first uh, fifth-gen Foreigner. So they, they facelifted it to the one you see today. But the first few years, they were just kind of the squared-off, very yeah. boxy. Yeah, they, went, they were kind of boxy and not very emotional. And then um, Mr. Toyota, not Toyota, the CEO of uh, Toyota came around and said, all of our cars need to have emotional appeal. And they added this kind of much more uh, angry, fangs on the it. Fang, yeah, kind of angry look on the front. It got facelifted, so it did become a little bit more um, aggressive, and it became a little bit more. And then they also, uh, in this latest generation, split the line between you know kind of the off-road one and then the on-road one. And the interesting thing too is, depending on the trim, they can actually look very different. So, for example, like a limited trim on a Forerunner is going to look entirely different than a TRD Pro. The front end itself is. Very unique on a limited, which is kind of unusual. You know, if you look at a Rubicon Jeep Wrangler versus a Sport Jeep Wrangler, obviously it looks very similar. But certain versions of the Forerunner have a totally different face. So the facelift came in 2014, and that's the one that we still are trucking along with today. Let's talk about some of the specs. 4-liter V6, 270 horsepower, 278 pound-feet of torque, 5-speed automatic for 2020, still a 5-speed. Right, very 90s in philosophy, but old, robust, only one engine option, no manual transmission option, and that's the way it's been, and that's the way I think, at least in this generation, it's always going to be. Yeah, and you also get the uh, Toyota kind of terrain response system in it, you know, with a little dial where you can dial up mm-hmm. uh, the speed of the crawl control, uh, and uh, in the TRD Pro, you get that basket on the roof. 
<laughs> that's how you know it's a TRD Pro. Uh, uh, and uh, you get the special colors. Um, and overall, it's just a really comfortable, um, thirsty, kind of the right sizes, sizes truck. Um, so let's talk about why it's the best off-roader. What makes it so special? Why well, do people love the 4Runner so much? I think regardless of the trim you get, be it an SR5 or a TRD Pro or a TRD Off-Road, the built-in magic on the 4Runner is just the old-school DNA. So the, essentially the reason that so many automotive journalists hate it is the reason that it works so well as an off-roader because it hasn't changed in so long. It's a box on wheels with a really strong chassis, a really stout powertrain, and nothing else. That's exact, It hauls a lot, it holds a lot, and it can go anywhere. And it's not going to do it very quickly. It's not going to do it the most comfortably in class. It's not going to do it with a lot of efficiency, but it will always get the job done. Yeah, you can put your finger on a body on frame. You know, the Explorer, the Blazer, the Grand Cherokee, all these uh, vehicles have gone to unibody. Um, and there's something about an old school body on frame that just gives you more confidence when you're off road, gives you more confidence when you're towing. Uh, gives you more confidence, I think, even when, like, you know, you're thinking about having, a, not having an accident, but, you know, in an accident, it's just a big, heavy, rugged vehicle. Uh, and because Toyota has now been building it since, what, 2009, right? So that's 11 years. Their tooling costs have probably, you know, been paid for. Uh, and uh, you can get these vehicles, I think, at a pretty reasonable cost if you're not too stressed about having, you know, the latest and greatest tech. Well, and that's kind of the unusual thing about the the Forerunner. If you look across the Toyota lineup, you typically pay a premium over some of its other competition. So be it Corolla, uh, Camry, they're typically priced a little bit higher than something like a Maxima or um, what's what's the Nissan? I'm totally blanking. The uh, above the Versa, Sentra. You know, with the Corolla, they'll be more expensive than that, and even more expensive than some of the American competition because they're super well made. And it's kind of just, it's a thought process that you get into when buying a Toyota is that I'm going to pay more for the quality. Well, with the Forerunner, you get the quality, but you don't necessarily pay more. So on the base end, you can get a reasonably well equipped SR5 for, you know, mid 30s. In some cases, low 30s with four-wheel drive, low range. Yeah, about a year ago when we were looking at buying a long-term test review vehicle for off-roading, it was between the 4Runner, of course, and the Wrangler, right? They're direct competitors in a lot of ways. Um, and in the end, we ended up going with the Wrangler, not because we didn't want the 4Runner, uh, but because the Wrangler had been redesigned. We went from the JK to the JL, and the Toyota had been basically the same truck since 2009. So it wasn't that we didn't want a, a Forerunner, it was just that we thought that, that you guys out there would be more interested in the JL, the new Wrangler, than in the Toyota that's been out there for 11 years. But I think, you know, had I had my dithers uh, and not been getting a car based on, you know, what's the newest and greatest and what's going to get the most interest from our viewers, I would have loved to have gotten that Forerunner. Like I say, when I was on that trip from Moab uh, to Telluride, um, that truck felt like, you know, an old baseball glove. You get into the thing and it immediately just comes to hand everything feels comfortable you know how everything works uh, and there's a sense that this thing is going to serve you like you know an old and happy golden retriever for the next 10-15 years and really it doesn't matter which foreigner you get be it a limited or a pro or an sr5 or an off-road they're all going to be really good now there is a sweet spot in the lineup if you are looking for the best all-around off-roader don't go for the trd pro no right that's too expensive it's too expensive and you can't lift it yeah, it, the, the, the special suspension makes it hard to lift and hard to modify. The best one in the whole lineup is the TRD Off-Road. So it's a step below the Pro. 
That doesn't give you the crazy suspension of the Pro or the really cool roof rack or the crazy colors. What the TRD Off-Road gives you is everything you need to go off-road. So it still gives you crawl control, it still gives you the rear locker, all the skid plates. It's just you don't get the blingy parts. So if you're actually serious about taking your Forerunner off-road, save a few thousand dollars. It's a lot of money to upgrade to the Pro and just get the TRD Off-Road. That way you can upgrade the suspension later on if you want to lift. And the wheels can be changed. And, you know, as long as you don't really, really, really need that army green, which is the hottest color, right, get the off-road. And there's even a new a new version now released in Chicago called the Trail Edition, which is basically an SR5 with the off-road wheels and a cooler in the back. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what that thinking was about. But there is a Trail Edition that's not the most off-road worthy. Yeah, so our friends at Toy Tech, and Toy Tech is a company that's been modifying Toyota's for the last, what, 20 years or so, um, pointed out something interesting, and that is, that, like you said, the TRD Pro is really hard to lift because of the Fox shocks, the way that the suspension attaches. Uh, it's a really tough one. Uh, and then it's also hard taking Fox shocks off of, you know, that you've paid extra for off of a brand-new vehicle to upgrade to whatever other kind you want. Um, and so you're right, exactly right. If you want to go for the ultimate uh, forerunner, go for the off-road and bypass the TRD Pro. So the other thing that you are able to, to, to get on a forerunner that is not available on a Wrangler is towing capacity. Yeah. You know, a Wrangler in its maximum configuration Three with the tow package, yeah, 3,500 pounds, which is really pretty useless. The, the forerunner is rated at 5,000 pounds. So that's the difference between three and a half and five does not seem like a huge difference on paper, but in the real world it makes a, a, a monumental uh, shift in kind of thinking, right? Because all of a sudden at 5,000 pounds you can realistically tow a small camper and still have friends and family in the truck. You can tow a boat, right? It makes it, makes it more in line with the usefulness of a pickup truck versus just an off-road toy like a Wrangler could be in terms of the towing ca- capacity, right? So I think that there's a lot, a lot to be said about the increased versatility of the Foreigner. Now, interior is old. If you're, if you're expecting the latest and greatest in materials or infotainment or buttons that aren't the size of Pluto, then don't get the Foreigner. But if you don't care about that and you just want something that will last forever and take you anywhere, the interior on the Foreigner is just fine. And, but a lot of people hate it. You know, if you read a lot of the reviews from the magazines, it'll be like, the interior of the Foreigner is too old. But Foreigner people, I don't think, I don't really think they care. Well, it's like the Tundra, right? I mean, I think they designed the interior to be used with gloves on, right? So you said bigger than Pluto. And I think that's because everything is more like Tonka toys. So you can get and change the radio without, you know, taking your gloves off. Or you can, uh, you know, control the HVAC without taking your gloves off. And that's, um, you know, something that's very trucky and old school uh, and maybe not, you know, Tesla. It's the exact opposite of Tesla, right, where everything is virtual and has to be, um, has to be done uh, via, um, you know, one screen. This is the yeah. exact opposite. And, and, and it's what you probably want off-road. I mean, you know, I'd worry about that much tech off-road. And for 2020, they did make some improvements. They're really small, but they're there. Infotainment system's better. Uh, a couple more USBs. Apple CarPlay, right? Did they get that finally? Yep, yeah, finally got the phone connectivity. Yeah. A couple more USB ports. <laughs> I think that's the end of the list. There might be some TRD off-road or TRD Pro goodies that it got as well. Like, I think it got the trail cam. I'm not sure about that. I have to double-check that, like the Tacoma. But it did get a little bit improved on the interior. Not drastically changed. We don't know when the new one's coming, right? That's the hottest, other than Bronco. When's the new Foreigner and Tundra coming? You know, we've heard speculation. We've heard rumors. No confirmed 
um, examples from Toyota. So not sure what direction they're going to go with in the new one. And, and speaking of direction, uh, let's talk about the engine, the 4-liter V6. It used to be the same engine that you'd find in the Tacoma. So both the Tacoma and the 4Runner had that old, naturally aspirated, big displacement V6. Well, in the current generation Tacoma, when that came out a number of years back, they actually switched to a new engine. So Tacoma went to a 3.5-liter Atkinson cycle V6. And if you talk to a lot of the Toyota community, a lot of the automotive journalists, even Toyota themselves, not, not so sure they nailed it on the new 3.5. Yeah, the problem with the 3.5 is that it's not any more powerful, it's not that much more uh, fuel efficient, and it doesn't really pair all that well with the transmission. Yep, so the, the Tacoma has a 6-speed automatic yep. versus a 5 in the 4Runner. Yep. And what, however they programmed that 6-speed, especially off the bat, was not great. It was always hunting for gears. The engine didn't make enough torque to hold a gear, so it was either sixth gear, fourth gear, fifth gear, second gear. There was no constant uh, gear that the, the truck would just hold. It was it's just very erratic. For 2020, they redid the transmission programming. I was talking to the chief engineer, and unfortunately, not that much improved. A little bit better, but it's still constantly hunting. Yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, traditional, read old, is uh, better than, you know, Cutting edge, read new. Um, the other thing I think we should talk about, Tommy, and we'll do it right after we get to Roman's rant, which is a new segment that we're introducing in our podcast. Do you know what we're going to rant about today, Tommy? What? We're going to talk about the Wrangler anyway. I'm going to rant about fuel um, gauges. You know why? <laughs> why? Because back when I was your age which is in the 80s, right? Um, we had these horrible fuel gauges in vehicles where you could never tell how much actual fuel you had. So the first half of the tank, right, according to the fuel gauge, would go like two, 300 miles, and then the last half would like disappear within 10 miles. <laughs> and God help you if you actually go to the reserve. And I think back then they were designing uh, fuel tanks as an upside-down pyramid. At least that's the way the fuel gauge read, right? Because the farther down you got, the less gas you got. I'm not sure that's a real thing, but we'll go with it. All right, go with it. Uh, and then recently, me and you have both had the same experience in our Silverado and in our Jeep Wrangler with the diesel, where we've had the exact same thing happen. The fuel tank goes for like in the in, in the Silverado, right? I think we would go like, we'd have like a range of like 250 miles towing. And the first 200 miles would be down to half a tank. And then the last 50 miles would be the last half. And I think I figured out why that is. And that is... We've had to replace the sending units in a lot of vehicles that we've owned, right? So, you know, you've got this gas tank that lives under the vehicle, and then there's basically something that looks like it belongs in your toilet that tells you <laughs> how much gas is in the tank. It's a little floaty styrofoam thing on a little arm, right? And as the gas goes down, the little styrofoam goes down, 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 and that sends a signal to the fuel gauge, uh, and that then reads whatever that little sandy thing costs. And that sandy thing costs like 10 bucks if you buy it at like your local parts store. That's how cheap they are. Right. Right? Uh, and so think about it. There's a display... Uh, on the vehicle now, which tells you how many miles to empty, right? That's very common. Sure. And how accurate could that number be when you're using a part out of a toilet to send <laughs> how, much, how much fuel is actually in the tank, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, it's just, it's just a horrible system. And I just think the manufacturers continue to cheap out, this is a rant, remember, uh, and not include a decent, realistic gauge. So every 
fuel economy number that comes out of that cheap-ass sending unit is going to be suspect because, like I said, it belongs in your toilet tank. It doesn't belong in a gas tank. So I think you're really going to get a kick out of this. Yeah. Um, I had an old Wrangler that was the same right. thing. It would use the first half in 150 miles. The second half would be like two, and then you'd be out of gas. Um, I think that was like a, a thing with old cars. I've, every old car I've driven has that exact same issue. So I was looking at the fuel gauge on my uh, 1982 Mercedes the other day. I was like, that, that seems weird to me because it makes a semicircle like most fuel gauges, and full is on the right, empty is on the left. And there's a marker for a half a tank, right? And if it's a semicircle, you'd think it'd be right in front of you, right? Vertically, right? But what Mercedes did is that they also have this issue, but they actually position the half tank meter closer to the full uh, sign than the empty. So it's not in, 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 in between, exactly it's in between. Not middle, yeah. It's not in the middle. It's more skewed so, towards so they, the full. So they fix it by changing the yeah, gauge. Yeah, they, they, they moved a little line in the fuel gauge more toward full. Yeah, so manufacturers... <laughs> You know, Tesla now gives you pretty incredibly accurate numbers on, like, how much range you actually have. Well, yeah, right? because if you... you, you because, because what they do is they actually send that data. Let's say you're driving from here to L.A., right? Right. Other people in Teslas have driven that, so they know exactly, you know, how much fuel economy those... Or how much battery economy those people got. And so they can give you really detailed, great numbers on how much range you have, Right. Gasoline-powered cars feel like they still have that upside-down pyramid where, you know, the first half of the tank is 200 miles and the next half. And it's terrifying. We were towing. Remember, we were towing back from Moab, right? And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, we got half a tank. And next thing you know, you know, the gas, the next gas station is 30 miles and we can barely make it to the next station. Remember that? It yeah, happened to us, I right? Remember. Because, because it, it's, it, you got almost watch it drop. Yeah. Well, You'll be happy to know that's not actually an issue with the foreigner. Because okay. if you're driving a new foreigner, it's perpetually out of gas. The fuel economy is that bad. So there's, there's no need to worry about it in the foreigner. All right. Now, I said uh, that's the end of Roman's rant. So uh, we'll continue on with our foreigner discussion. Uh, I said that we were going to do a direct comparison to the Wrangler. So let's compare it to the Wrangler because that's something that people cross shop, right? Um, so the Wrangler is also um, a four-door uh, Jeep. I was going to call it a crossover. You can't. Jeep people hate that. So it's a Jeep. It's just a box. It's a, it's a <laughs> box. But it's just, it's just, <laughs> a like, a, box. It's just like a foreigner. Uh, the foreigner probably starts a little bit higher because you can get um, a Jeep for about 27. Well, I think the foreigner starts like 37. Yeah, so the foreigner the starts a little, yeah, yeah. a little bit higher because you can get a pretty basic Jeep with small wheels and two doors and well, no, no power windows. Yeah, let's compare four-door to four-door. Well, let me, let me just talk. So, so, so it starts a little lower, but then it ends a lot higher, right? We have a Jeep right now that we're driving around that costs $64,000. There's no way you could, you no. know. A pro is going to be 52 unless you Unless you find the one to the dealer, you know, who's still marking them up for 10K. You're not going to get up to 64. So it starts lower, ends higher. Um, I think uh, the 4Runner has uh, a couple advantages and a couple disadvantages. So a Jeep has a disconnectable front sway bar and a front locker, and you can't get those, at least not from the factory from a Toyota. No. Uh, but, and, of course, the most important thing is a Jeep is a convertible. Yes, but the rear window does roll down on the 4Runner. It does, and it's pretty cool. It's that old Basically school. Basically a convertible. Yeah. 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 But the 4Runner <laughs> has independent front suspension, which many people think is better on-road. Yes. Uh, it's got Toyota's reputation for reliability. That's the most important one. For a lot of people. Yep. Uh, and what else does it have that you can't get in a Wrangler? Um, uh, Fox shocks. Yep, it's, it's got, got Fox shocks. Fox yeah, shocks. shocks. Yeah, it's got a much bigger trunk than the Wrangler. Yeah, and just just a roll down window. <laughs> yeah, roll down window. Honestly, rear window. 
it makes a lot of sense to me why <laughs> why the Forerunner is so much more successful. Well, I should say more successful. Why Toyota fans love the Forerunner over the Wrangler? Because I'm a big Wrangler fan. You know, let, let's make that very clear. But the Forerunner, even though it's a Toyota and you get all that baked in reliability, has a, a lot of value built built into it that, yes. that a Wrangler might not have. So a four door Wrangler starts a lot less than the Forerunner, right? But it also has roll up windows. So, 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 <laughs> you know? so last year Toyota sold 132,000 Forerunners. Yeah, which is pretty remarkable for a car that's, that's older less, than I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. Pretty much. Uh, and I don't know how many uh, Jeeps they sold, how many Wranglers. A lot. But it's got to be very similar because uh, off-roaders are really red hot right now. Yeah, but, but what I'm talking about is, you know, by the time you get them spec'd out, right, yeah. with comfortable convenience features, a screen that's not the size of a potato in the Wrangler, uh, you know, na- maybe navigation, maybe heated seats, what, what, whatever you really think is important, the Forerunner is going to be better value than the Wrangler. Yeah. It yeah. is. And it's going to be more usable every day. Because it's, I just think it's better sealed from the elements. Uh, it's not as boxy going down the road. It feels more like a car. The the ride quality is about the same, maybe a little bit better. And uh, off-road, the Wrangler's going to be better. It's going to go more places. But for the kind of off-roading that I think 80% of people do, which is you know trail running, overlanding, dirt road running, the Forerunner's going to be better in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is if I were looking for a rig to go overlanding, I'd get the Forerunner. If I were looking for a rig to go rock crawling, I'd get the Wrangler. The Wrangler also has two other uh, potential advantages, and that is, number one, it's a little bit more customizable. It's just, it's just it a lo- the aftermarket yeah. community is huge, and Wranglers are like Harleys. You can just, you know, you can make it your own, and much, the bumpers come off easier, right? Right. Right, the Forerunner bumper is not easy. To, to mod um, and I think in, at least in Colorado Wranglers hold their value better not than a Tacoma but than a Forerunner um, yeah I think they both hold their value well yeah. but Wranglers probably a little better Wranglers also available with a manual transmission so the three people out there that are actually going to buy those have a party uh, and they're recalled yep <laughs> in, the, in the Gladiator at least that's a reliability point <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah so there's that and then there's also um I just for, totally forgot my train of thought, but it was something very interesting. The basket on the roof? What a bummer. <laughs> you can't put a basket on the roof of a Wrangler because <laughs> no, you, 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 you won't be able to take your top off? <laughs> I think it's – oh, engines. You get a lot more choice of engines in the Wrangler. So there's a big V6, but there's also a tiny, all right, tiny all right, turbo. Let me ask you this. Uh, given the choice between the Forerunner's 4-liter or the Wrangler's 2-liter turbo, uh, 3.6-liter Pentastar or – the new diesel, which of those would you get? They're probably a four-runner. Yeah, me too. Six. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just exactly so right. proven. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's exactly right. Performance-wise, yeah. a two-liter Wrangler, I think, will outrun a four-runner from the testing we've done. It's, it's a little quicker. The four-runner's still pretty slow. Fuel economy, believe it or not, I think definitely the diesel Wrangler is going to be better than and the— And probably a two-liter, too. Yeah, than the four-runner. But, I mean, it's—even as ancient as the four-runner is, it's still such a competitive choice. And it may not be rational, like it's missing a lot of the interior quality and design that you'd expect at the price point. Uh, the Wrangler interior is better, which is crazy to think about, that a Wrangler is a better interior than a Forerunner. But um, it just works, you know. I mean, it does everything people need it to do. It's durable. It's rugged. You can put your dogs in it. And you got so many choices. So while there may not be as many options as a Wrangler, right, you can't spec it from 27 to 64, there's still a lot of trims that will fit your, your needs. So, right. so uh, last year, I was talking about that trip I took from Moab to Telluride. You did the same trip. Did you have a Forerunner TRD Pro as well in that? Yeah, we had the uh, 2020 Tacomas and Forerunners. Okay, so tell me about your experience in the Forerunner. How was it? Oh, everybody liked the Forerunner more than the, uh, than the Tacoma. Really? Yeah. 
It's just the people fought for the keys of the foreigner. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say. Fi- I would say they didn't fight for the keys, but there were a few brawls. Yeah, okay, um, definitely because the issue is the Tacoma is just uncomfy, right? Well, it's got that weird seating position where your legs are like straight ahead of you instead of below you. It's really weird. And Toyota says they have fixed it. They, they have, have not. they have given it a seat that is now power adjustable. Yeah. But in case you've ever wondered what happens when you take a Tacoma seat and lift it up, it just means your head is going to be jammed yeah, in the ceiling. Yeah, we did some we did some measurements a few years ago where we figured out that basically the problem with the Tacoma for me, and this is something that some people love actually, is that basically the the floor height is too high versus the ceiling height, which is too low. So the cabin is really uh, just you know kind of squished from a tall guy standpoint. Now Toyota will tell you they raise the floor for more ground clearance. Yes, I know. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you could do get that, but uh, in most places, I think it was like it's like two inches uh, taller in the seat than most of the competing midsize trucks. So you're two inches higher when it comes to kind of the the, the roof height. The issue, yeah, but the issue is the distance between the floor and the seat cushion. Right. Right? There's not enough. You're basically sitting on the ground. Yeah, and the, the seat cushion is any taller. It's that the, the, the floor is that much higher. Right. You're right. So, and, and the, the foreigner doesn't have that problem. No. The foreigner is like every other car. Yeah. Uh, so that was the first complaint. The second complaint was just, just see the engine in that Tacoma. I mean, I have no doubt it's very well made, but it's just kind of gutless. Like, the 3.5 just doesn't have any torque when you need it. I don't know where they put it. Like, the number is okay. It's got almost 300 pound-feet of torque, but where did it go? I mean, where, where are they hiding? Can I... I don't know. Is it, more, is it heavier? Is it, is I don't know. Is I, checked, heavier? I checked under the seats. I yeah. looked in the bed. There were no <laughs> spare torques to be found anywhere. Whereas the Forerunner, you hit the gas and, you know, it only has, like, five gears to choose from. So... There's a 20% chance Maybe it's going to catch. Maybe it has one flat torques. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there's a 20% chance that even if there's no brain, it's going to catch the right gear. <laughs> but, yeah, it was just a more comfortable, better suited no, So, you know, what happened, what happened with me was, of course, when I went to that same trip, and thank you, Toyota, for hosting us. That was really fun. Well, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Was, you know, I wanted to get into, uh, I think the very first one I wanted to get into was the Tundra, because, or maybe the Tacoma, because that was new, so I drove that. And I was like, yeah, this is okay, you know, the, the same issues. And then I got into the uh, Tacoma or the Tundra, and the Tacoma uh, was nimble and good off-road and very solid, but I didn't fit. Um, the problem with the Tundra was I, fi- I fit. It's great. I mean, just tons of room, you know, old-school truck, but uh, it struggled on some places without that locking rear diff. I just feel like if you're going to have a TRD Pro, you better have you better bring the locking rear diff because especially – in a very competitive market, every other truck in that segment has a locking rear diff. Right. Right? I'm not even talking a Raptor. I'm talking like even a basic Silverado with, you know, the, the basic off-road package. You get that G80 locker. Mm-hmm. At least you get something. And, and, and I just couldn't get past that. I was like, this is your most off-road worthy truck, and you can't do a locking diff on it. And it, 99% of the time, it probably doesn't matter. But when you're off-road, it does matter. And then I got into the Forerunner, and I was like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. This is, this is the one I'd have immediately. The interesting thing is, so once again, Toyota, thank you for inviting me on that trip, too. Best trip I've ever been on. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, you did the year after I did. Yeah, I did. Um, they had a bunch of Tacoma TRD Pros and a bunch of Forerunner TRD Pros that we could drive. Yeah. And then they had one Tacoma TRD Off-Road and one Forerunner TRD Off-Road we could drive. And that was the one that I was a little skeptical about because we were doing some hard trails. Like we did Hell's Revenge in Moab. Yeah, uh, we did. did a bunch of stuff above Telluride and Ure for the FJ Summit. And the off-road trims were cheaper, and they did everything that the pros did with no additional, like, struggling. They didn't struggle anymore. 
Um, they they weren't particularly any more uncomfortable. They just weren't the crazy cool color. So like there were no <laughs> there that were no army, army green. greens. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a really hot color right now. But there was a red one. There was a red Forerunner TRD off road, and it performed brilliantly. The tires weren't as good. The tires are going to be changed anyways. Um, but yeah, it did everything that the pros did for thousands of dollars less. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing about the comparison to the Wrangler. The Toyota doesn't come from the factory with as aggressive of a tire as a Wrangler, right? The Wrangler comes with KO2s. Yeah, I, I, I was talking to the engineers about that. Yeah. It's, it's a complicated story. Okay, what's the story? It's what do a, they say? It's, it's just, just a lot to it. So it's not that they don't want to put an aggressive tire on it, yeah. but Toyota has such stringent you know, fuel economy needs that they have to meet, and they have such stringent, I know, Surprising, right? Yeah. But the difference between 15 and 16 is a, is a big deal for Toyota. Uh, they've got really stringent sound requirements they need to meet, really stringent handling requirements they need to meet. And um, because of that, certainly cost too, right? And because of that, the, the, the Toyotas have less of a tire than I think the Wrangler. So I, I was talking to Mike, Mike Swears, mm-hmm. the chief engineer, on, at least he was, on the Tacoma, right? And I said, dude, why do you have a fake hood scoop, right? Right. And he gave me that same answer. Basically, the tolerances for engine temperature are so specific in a Toyota that if you were to open up that hood scoop, it would change it around. <laughs> By some but, tiny percentage. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? I've heard the same thing about the fact that the taco doesn't have disc brakes in the back, right? That, you know, I've heard that same kind of excuse. And to me, I'm just like, guys, you're Toyota. You're the world's biggest car company. You've got, you know, engineers... Uh, over the top at your company, just figure it out and make it functional. It's 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 such a silly thing to have this kind of fake hood scoop because what it says is you know I don't have the off road cred and even though you do have it by putting on that fake hood scoop you're saying basically I don't have it and and you know I don't get it I just don't get that I understand. The reasoning for the hood scoop thing, yeah, and perhaps even the tire thing, yeah. The drum brakes is kind of. Very silly, yeah, right. But um, I think it just represents what Toyota values as a brand, right? Longevity and reliability. Long, yes, that's why they're so slow to evolve to turbocharging. That's why they're so slow to evolve to EVs. It's because if Toyota does something, uh, you know, every manufacturer tests like crazy. Right. Well, Toyota's going to test like crazy and then drive it to the moon and back, and again and again and again, and that takes time and time and time. And until each and every part can be as strong and as well made as it can be, it won't be put on the vehicle, right? And new. Te- That's what they say. Yeah, new technology is. Anytime you're you're adding new tech, there's always a risk of something going wrong. And, you know, that's why you never see a lot of recalls on, on foreigners or land cruisers. Yeah, but then you get to the kind of the frontier problem, right, which is you've got a vehicle that's now so old that it's no longer competitive because, yeah, you may have a very reliable vehicle, but it's not as safe, right, because crash testing yeah. has gotten so much better. It doesn't have the, the latest tech in terms of either off-road or on-road stuff, and you can't really retrofit it because the, the chassis and body don't really accept it. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's problematic. Let's talk about, in the last few minutes that we have, uh, what we see coming down the line from Toyota uh, in their off-road world. Because uh, we were expecting a new Tundra to be unveiled this year at the Chicago Auto Show, and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have it on good authority that the next generation of Tundra will be more like the Ford, right? We're going to get a, a, a 6 versus the 8 cylinder. And we're probably going to get turbocharging. So I would expect that a lot of that will eventually work its way down uh, to the Tacoma and the Foreigner as well. So the interesting thing is the rumor has it, and, and it's, it's gone back and forth, but the, the current speculation actually is that Toyota is only going to do one full-size body on frame chassis. 
So that base, I should say architecture, that architecture is going to be shared with both the Tacoma and the Tundra, right? So they're going to share a lot of kind of, kind of the bones of both vehicles. So I, w- I would expect that to extend to the Foreigner as well. I think you're right. I think we're going to see big leaps in fuel economy. So I think we're going to see smaller turbocharged engines for sure. And probably hybrid. Yeah, and probably more speeds in the transmission. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're going to go to four. I think the chance of them going to a four-speed is quite minuscule. Maybe three? Maybe three. <laughs> yeah. Three is a possibility, but at least four is what I'm going to guess. Um, so that's exciting to see. And, you know, going back to your argument, you know, the, the Frontier issue, I think part of the Frontier issue is that that midsize truck class is very hyper-competitive now. For a while in the U.S., it was, do I get a Frontier or do I get a Tacoma? You know, there was a little while there where those were your options. But now you got GM with the, uh, the, the Duramax twins, and you've got the Ford Ranger coming in hot, and you got all these you know, Tacomas trying to improve. Yeah. yeah, so Frontier is just ancient. It's lost. It's confused. Whereas Forerunner, competition is Wrangler, right? And Wrangler is still using twigs for axles like they have been in 41. And they're going to hate that I said that. They're still using solid axles like they have in 41. So there's not a lot of competition for Forerunner to really improve. And that's why it works. You know, if, if for example, the Ford Bronco had been selling for the last three years and had offered a lot more tech and a lot more improvement for a lower price, then yes, they need to update it. But that's not the case, is it? Yeah, but it's coming. The Bronco it's is been coming. coming for the it's, last it's, five it's, years, it's, Dad. It's coming, and give it, give it, you know, a couple months, and we're going to see a Bronco, which is also going to put pressure. <gasps> it's going to put pressure, and so is the Defender, uh, which in a way also kind of sort of competes with the um, with the Forerunner. But Tommy, there's actually a bigger competitor. The Toyota is actually developing themselves, and you know what I'm talking about. For a long time, the Rav Four was this little like uh, crossovery thing that uh, was. For you know, people who wanted an entry level crossover, but now there's a Rav4 Adventure, uh, and think about the cost of those. Those are right up there with the SR5s. You can get a, you can get a Rav4 Adventure for thirty five, thirty six, just like an SR5 Forerunner. And so, in a way, Toyota is bringing that Rav4 up to the Forerunner status. It's it's gotten bigger. It's gotten more off roady, right? It's gotten more uh, rough looking and tough looking. And in a way, it's it's kind of you know positioning itself in that same space that used to be the sole domain of the Forerunner. A while back, we had a gentleman come on our show, Do They Love or Hate My Ride? Yeah. Put a RAV4 TRD off-road. Right. Remember that? I yeah. think he paid thirty-eight grand. Yeah, for sure. For, <laughs> for that for, for that RAV4? Yeah. And that's definitely like, you can for sure, especially with discounts, get a nicely equipped Forerunner for thirty-eight grand. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so maybe, maybe the strategy for Toyota is that they'll bring the RAV4 up uh, and then I don't know what they're going to do with the Forerunner. Maybe they'll bring that to the next level. So maybe they'll take it more into um, the higher, you know, expensive domain of the more expensive Rubicon Wranglers or the cheaper Defenders or wherever the heck the Bronco is going to be. Or maybe they'll kill it. Uh, it's been around for so long. It's 132,000 yeah, units a year. They're not going to kill it. They're not going to kill it. <laughs> that, that, that thing is like printing money. Who's going to kill? Who is going to kill a SUV or crossover in this day and age? Nobody. You know, I, I would say they will kill the Camry before they'll kill the Forerunner. No. Yes. No. What about Land Cruiser? What about Land Cruiser? Well, they only sell like three of those every year. You know, you think that's Yeah, gonna... I mean, that's going to be on the Tundra platform. So, uh, you know, time will tell what the Tundra has. That's what the Land Cruiser will have. I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think so. I, I, I sincerely hope they bring the new Land Cruiser to the... I sincerely hope they bring the new Land Cruiser to the U.S. Um, but I think they may only bring the Lexus. 
they sell more than three. It's like three or four thousand every year, typically, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But it's it's not a very high volume vehicle, and Toyota is all about you know volume and making it making it work financially. Yeah, you know the Land Cruiser is a whole other animal, and we probably should do an entire show around that because it probably is one of the most iconic overland vehicles you could buy and we've certainly you know had our share of experience with them so that's why i didn't talk about it much because i had one on the trip from moab to uh telluride but i felt like let's let's leave that for its own thing mm-hmm. okay yeah we'll, we'll do another show on it for sure well guys there you go you've wasted what another 45 minutes or so listening to me and tommy argue about what's the best off-roader you can buy and uh Guys, we really appreciate you joining us for this podcast. Uh, This will also be a video, and it is a video, on uh, TFL Now, so you could watch it uh, or you could listen to it at your pleasure uh, on uh, the podcast-serving modem. What what would we call it? The podcast-serving service of your choice, right? Yeah, Spotify, Apple. It's it's on your uh, your usual places. Yeah, yeah. the usual places. Uh, And come back uh, next week when we'll... uh, Dive deeper into more talking cars. Yep, we'll see you guys next time. Ciao. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.